Welcome to episode 29 of the Unstoppable Podcast with special guest, Dr. Julian Hosp. My name is Dan J. Gregory, and I am committed to hunting down the secrets of business mastery and human performance. My goal for the Unstoppable Podcast is to share insights from some of the most successful entrepreneurs, inspiring thought leaders, world-class athletes, and prominent celebrities to help you to become unstoppable in business and life. Each week, I'll be bringing you a new interview with an inspiring person and sharing my own results as I pursue the answers to the question, how can I create the ultimate edge in my business, make a significant impact, and live an extraordinary life? Welcome to episode 29 of the Unstoppable Podcast. For those of you who've been following the show over the past couple of weeks, you will know that I suffered for over three weeks with illness and then jumped on a plane and cycled from Innsbruck in Austria to Verona in Italy via the Alps, having not trained, before returning to the UK to move into a new apartment on the harbour side in Bristol in the southwest of England and then spending three days on the other side of the country to celebrate my good friend Stag Do. Think about the Hangover movie in the forest and you've got a good picture of what went on. Unsurprisingly, over the past four to five weeks, I was not able to record any new guest interviews for the show. And a last minute reschedule today meant that I was faced with the prospect of having absolutely no interview ready for today's release date. In podcasting terms, this is what I refer to being up something creek, a total nightmare. However, I was not prepared to give in. This morning, I woke up and put a message in explaining my predicament in three select groups on Facebook that I actively participate within and trust wholeheartedly. And I outlined that I was specifically looking for a seven-figure online entrepreneur to step in and help me out at the last minute. And I was overwhelmed by the response. Within minutes, literally minutes, I received countless introductions and messages from potential guests who were willing to step up and help me out at the last hour. And a big shout out to the Freedom Hackers, the Smart Passive Income Community, and the Internet Marketing Super Friends who are helping me out and stepping up to help me get this sorted for today's episode. And the first suitable guest to fit the bill and step up was Dr. Julian Hosp. And he kindly agreed to come to the rescue despite it being 9pm in his local time. And I believe that not only have I secured a great guest for today's show, but a new lifelong friend. And the lesson I took from this whole experience is, if you ever need help, just ask. It's just around the corner. So let me formally introduce our guest, Dr. Julian Hosp. By chance, having just been in Austria myself, today's guest happened to grow up in Austria, but at the age of 16, he moved to the US to study. And whilst living in North America, he discovered America's sport, basketball, which eventually took him back to Austria, where he played professionally before embarking on a medical career. And while studying for his medical qualifications, being a competitive sporty type, Julian took up kite surfing and began competing professionally all over the world and it's a sport which he mastered whilst both studying and beginning his medical career over a period of 10 years. He even wrote a book on it. Check out the show notes for the link. He soon experienced a pivotal moment in his medical career which changed his life forever and he realized that he would not be content with the 70 to 80 hour work week, the 70, 80 hour grind required of a doctor. So Julian made the hardest decision of his life and decided to leave the profession. Determined to create a life similar to his time traveling the world as a competitive athlete, he committed to starting his own business and he moved to Asia where he rapidly became a highly successful seven-figure entrepreneur. Today, Julian runs several offline and online businesses and he recently wrote the Amazon number one bestseller, 
25 stories I would tell my younger self to inspire people all around the world to make the tough decisions, act in spite of fear, and achieve the breakthroughs that they never thought was possible for their life and their business. In today's episode, you will discover how to leave your career behind and start a successful business and learn the mindset required to create breakthroughs in your life and develop the seven-figure edge in your business. Big welcome to Julian Hoss, Dr. Julian Hoss, who I'm absolutely delighted to have on the show with me today. As you heard in the introduction, um, due to unfortunate circumstances, I didn't have a show ready for today. As my listeners know, I've been off the radar for a bit, off the grid, feeling unwell. Um, but Julian has come to the rescue today, and what a fantastic guest to have. And I'm, I'm, it's a real pleasure to connect, Julian. So, Julian, I know I've just introduced you offline, but uh, it'd be really great to uh, hear from yourself in terms of what your current focus is right now as an entrepreneur. Hey, sure, Dan. It's uh, such a pleasure to be on. Um, well, my focus at the moment is really on building up my, my all my knowledge that I've gained as an entrepreneur after my medical career, and I really want to hit the German market hard. Um, I feel uh, I learned a lot from the English markets, a lot from America, a lot for here in Asia. And I feel, um, since me coming from Austria originally, I feel there's so much input you could give there. And that's what I'm really focusing on, building uh, personal development there um, in my mother's tongue, which makes it quite fortunate. And so that's uh, what my key focus is at the moment. Awesome. And, and how specifically do you help your clients right now? Um, so all the people that I'm working with, um, I have two major products. One is where we run a mastermind group with around 100 people. Um, that is one of my core, core products where we have entrepreneurs, selfpreneurs, onepreneurs, whatever preneur you want to call it. Um, they want to do their online business. They want to, they want to, some, some are in direct sales, some are in network marketing, um, some are in real estate and really basically help them what I achieved over the past seven years, um, copy paste so they can just follow that, uh, same thing. Awesome. So it sounds like a lot of different lifestyle business models. Would that be right? Yeah. Awesome. Um, so I'd be keen to get into your background in terms of your journey. And I know that, you know, you started off very differently to where you are now. Could you uh, walk me through your entrepreneurial journey so far and, and, and some of the reasons behind some of the changes you made earlier on in your life? I mean, I come out of a total average Austrian family. What do you want to What do you want to call average? Um, my my dad was a self employed, or is, is still a self employed architect. My mom used to be a school teacher, but when I and my sister were born, uh, she became a full time mom. So I had uh, employee parents, and I this was the mindset that I w that I was going to get. I moved to the U.S. when I was sixteen. My my parents, my family there also. 100% employees. And that was my mindset. So my dream was become the best employee you can possibly be. And my dream was to become a medical doctor. So I used, because I believed as a medical doctor, you have a really high reputation in society. Uh, you do well, if you want to call it that way. And so I thought, okay, that would be a really great job to have. And so I studied medicine and uh, I worked really hard on this. I had, I was best in the class. I always wanted to have the highest grades. I graduated and I started working in the traumatology station, uh, basically a lot of ER stuff, sports accidents. I mean, in Austria, this is what you get, skiing accidents, biking accidents. So, yeah. I mean, it's uh, El Dorado for that. And uh, after six months into that journey, I realized that if I have to do this for the rest of my life, then I'm going to live the most miserable life of my life. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I had to find uh, a different solution to, to that outcome. So what was the kind of defining moment? What, what, what was it that helped you then make that transition and what was the next stage for you? It's a, a really good question. I mean, it was a general package. There was one incident and I still remember that as if it was happening today. I was 
I was working in a night shift and um, a young patient came in, um, probably back then, age 22, 23. And I was not much older. I was 24. And, uh, well, he lost both of his arms because of a really bad accident. Both Gosh. of his arms. You need to understand, right? My goodness. As and, uh, yeah, he came in and uh, I, I mean, I really, we did the surgery together with a really experienced team. We had to amputate both his arms. He woke up and, uh, I mean, he had, he, I mean, it was the shock of his life because he said he loved playing the guitar. He loved to do all these amazing things. And, uh, and I, I mean, that really hit me. I needed special treatment after that. I, mm. psychological treatment just because sure. normally I could, I would have a distance to such things. And just because it came so close, I felt oh my, it really, really hit me. And I think that was a bit of the, how old were you at the you want, time? Were you a similar age? Yeah, I was 24. Mm. And it, it really, I mean, that was maybe the, you know, you always need this, this one crack that makes a boat sink. Yes. That was that. If I look at it, I mean, a lot of water came in, but it was this one crack, I think, that led to all the other things. When I started to, when I started to ask questions, when I started to ask other doctors and ask, hey, how happy are you working 10 years in hospital? How happy are you working 20 years in hospital? How, happy, how, how, how much have you achieved your dreams? That was when I started asking questions and really understood, wow, this might not be the, the, the path that I wanted to walk down the line, which, please, is really important, right? I think I would still think that, the job of a doctor is super reputationable and I, uh, reputable, and I think it would be a really great path for a lot of people. So don't get me wrong here. It was just mm. not the path that in this very moment I wanted to walk myself. So what was the first step you took then in terms of uh, making the transition? What was the first thing you, you ended up doing after, after becoming a doctor? Um, well, you mean when I, after, when you when I decided to yeah, when you decided yeah, when, to leave, yeah. That was the... Many people ask me what was one of the hardest decisions in my life. Um, that was by far the hardest decision of my life because, I mean, there was, I don't know how, how this is in your families or in whoever's listening. I mean, my parents, they were, ex I was the first doctor in the entire family from the family history. And my mom was always super proud that I was a doctor. My grandma, who still does know that I'm not a medical doctor anymore <laughs> because she's 92 now and still thinks I'm a medical doctor just because I don't want to. I don't want to crush your heart, right? Yes. So, but I, I called my mom and I said, "Mom, I'm I'm quitting. I I I have to leave." And it was, I, I think, I mean, now she's totally fine with this, and she knows that I went the right path. But back then, she she blamed everyone and everything around that I am this this her son trying to do something different. Um, the only way for me out was I went on a on a backpacking trip with a very good friend of mine. His name is Michael, and uh, I just left. We we flew to Thailand. I just had to get away from it all. Wow. I, I can totally relate to the, the situation. You know, before becoming an entrepreneur myself, I was in the corporate world for eight years. And in terms of my family, I had the same situation. It was very um, employee mindset in terms of the, all of my family background, virtually my entire family tree, apart from perhaps one person. Um, so everyone could describe exactly what my career was about when I was working in banking. And, you know, they could easily proudly say, my son does this and this and this. But it just wasn't for me anymore. So I can completely empathize and relate uh, to the, the situation. I'm sure many of the other listeners have, have had similar experiences as well. So, so once you once you left um, your career as a doctor behind, was it, was it then you, you entered into professional sports? No, that was during my medical study. So right. I mean, while I was while I when I was 17, 18, I started to become a kite surfer, and uh, that was I mean, I was in a fortunate position that my university had special athlete programs. That uh, when you have a certain, when you are a certain position in the entire world, that 
you can do both. And I, I mean, I'm a really, 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 really hard worker. And so for me, I was either studying or I was traveling and kite surfing. And uh, well, for uh, that, that was good because at, that allowed me that when I finished my studies that I had a little bit of money on the side so that I didn't have this worry of, okay, I'm not working right now. What's going to happen to me financially? So, I, I mean, I was not extremely well off, but I was... I had enough money in the bank that I could live for the next six months, let's say it like this. And that's that that was also the reason why for me that decision was purely based on what I wanted to do with my life, because I had already experienced how awesome life can be. I mean, imagine, right, I was traveling to the best places in the world, and I'm really talking about the Maldives to the Carib- Caribbean to South America, wherever, and I got paid to do that. And now suddenly I was locked into a hospital having to see people like die in front of my eyes and I would have never experienced this. And I'm like, duh, you know, you become a medical doctor. How can you not experience, like prepare for that? But yeah, that's how I was. Wow. So, so once you left your career behind then, what was your first steps into business? Um, yeah, my first step into business was, uh, I, it was not a voluntary step. It was a totally unexpected. I had no plan what I was going to do. Um, uh, my friend, Michael, that I was traveling with, uh, after we were traveling and one day he told me, he said, Hey Julian, you know what? Um, I know you're looking for other options. Why don't you come with me to a business presentation? And, uh, you, if that's something you might be interested in, then, uh, well, it would be interested to start that business. And I was, I mean, if in business you can be open as open one can be, I was as open as one could be to any business opportunity. I mean, you could have pitched me anything and I would have probably said yes, just because I really had no clue what to do with my life. I I knew that at some point my runway was going to end and I needed to generate money. And I had always been a very avid learner. For me, I was really hungry. So he took me to a network marketing uh, presentation. It was for the first time in my life I heard about network marketing. I had no clue what network marketing was about. It was uh, it was a fantastic experience, I have to admit, because to me, I I, I understood the concept. I, I loved the idea of it. I, I saw that it was, I, I met a few really great people there and they, and I loved, the one thing that I really loved about that presentation was not so much the presentation itself, but the types of people that I met there. And I was, I really have to say, I was really fortunate that on my first presentation in network marketing, I met some really awesome people. Excellent. and. And so that's how I got started. And then so um, how, how did you get you, you involved into the business and you took that forward? So for me, I mean, one thing I always had known and that was, you know, I mean, true leaders are big readers. So that was the first thing I, I mean, I, the first thing I did was I still remember I went on Amazon and I just looked on network marketing. I needed books. I wanted to buy DVDs. I wanted to read everything that was about that topic just because I wanted, I mean, in medicine, right, you learn just about one subject. You have to study 500 pages. So for me, I was a really great reader. I was a really great studier because I knew how important that was. So for me, it was supernatural to, as soon as I started in that new venture of mine, to really prepare myself and understand it all. And I think, I mean, anyone who's listening here and uh, who is in network marketing, I think one of the key things is you need to treat it a million percent like a business, like a study, like anything. And I saw so many people in my in in the, in the past seven years who don't treat network marketing like that. They really treat it more like a hobby, and that's what they get. Uh, if you treat it like a profession, you earn like in a profession. You treat it like a hobby. Well, at the end of the day, you pay for it like you pay for a hobby. So I really invested time. I invested money. Um, 
the first book I read was from Randy Gage. It was, I still remember it changed my life because he had this one sentence in there. He said, network marketing is one of the most awkward business forms in the world because it's not so much about selling. It's more about building teams and sharing the product through that. And I still remember it like today, how that one concept changed everything for me in my future success. Wow. He's, he's, I mean, he's a great, he's a great uh, leader. And uh, what, what do you remember what book that was? Yeah, uh, it was uh, the uh, How to Build a Multi-Million Dollar Cash Machine. I think something like this it was called. Awesome. And are you still in network marketing now? Is that part of your... I'm not active in network marketing. Um, I'm happy to tell my story if you want. Um, I, we, we started with a company. I realized that if I want to be really good in network marketing, I have to go into a market where there's a lot of purchasing power, a lot of money involved, a lot of, uh, a lot of people. So I looked on the map and I said, okay, I've, I grew up in Europe. I've been in the U.S. already. So let's hit Asia. So let's hit Asia hard. There's a lot of people here, a lot of Chinese. There's, I mean, billions of people. Let's move here. And so together with my girlfriend that I'm super thankful for, she was so understanding. Uh, we both moved to Hong Kong. Um, I did a course on how to network with people online, how to, how to network through LinkedIn. I learned everything that was about how to recruit people on the street, how to meet people at networking events, um, anything that was basically offline, online. And, uh, well, within three years, we built an organization of 27,000 people. It generated massive, 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 massive cash flow. And, uh, I, I mean, it was I, I, I'm really thankful. It was the right decision. A lot of people didn't understand what I was doing. I think I lost a lot of friends through that. But on the other hand, I won 10 times more. Mm-hmm. And I'm really glad I did. It's an industry I'm very familiar with. And we've had a, a couple of guests from from that world on the show, Alex Morton and John Holowati, both uh, both great Alex. guys. You know Alex. Yeah, Alex is a great guy. Um, he's actually the first guest I had on the show. Uh, and it was a really, really strong episode. So um uh, and, and get lots of value in terms of network marketing. So what, what made you decide to, to leave the network marketing industry and, and what came next? Sure. Um, that was, that's now a couple of years ago. It, it was not a clear end to it. To me, it was, on the one hand, the company that I was working with, they had some changes internally. Mm. And uh, I didn't like the way the company was heading. I didn't like the product changes they had. Um, to me, that was, I was, it was just, in my opinion, it was the wrong way to go which I'm not saying the company went the wrong way. I think the company is doing a good job. It was just for me personally, it was the wrong way. Uh, that was my personal opinion. Sure. Um, and so I, I had made really good money. I had a very interested position, interesting position in the company. So I stepped away from that, cashed in. It was, I mean, again, I look back, I don't regret it. Sometimes I think about it, what would happen if, but I, I think it was the total uh, right direction. And um, I had met uh, one very important person in my life uh, b- around, that's now nine years ago. His name is Paul. I'm, I would be happy to talk about him a little bit because he really put a lot of mindset into me. Yes. And uh, he had always been a big real estate investor. And so I learned that, I mean, I had to put my money into real estate. So I bought some real estate uh, with that cash that I had generated. And uh, yeah, me and my girlfriend just started traveling a little bit and just enjoy life. Um, because I had worked really hard and I wanted to enjoy that. And that's, uh, that was in the past. So, um, uh, yeah, it was a really, I mean, we had some really good times traveling together and having fun. Um, that was just to relax a little bit. And then, uh, that's now roughly two years ago, we started to, to build our own business, uh, with the knowledge that we had created before. 
Great. So talk to me a little bit about some of the things you learned then from uh, Paul. Like, did, did Paul sort of become like a mentor to you? Is that, is it... Yeah, sure. I, so, I mean, uh, I think everyone needs someone to, to to coach a bit, to to mentor. And I don't mean this in a, in a business sense. I mean this more that I mean, if you're young, right, you, you have two options. Either you learn from your own mistakes or you're smart and you learn from the mistakes others did and so you don't have to do them. And um, my family and my background is not entrepreneurial. So for me, it was not something that I was looking into. But when I met Paul, and it was a total coincidence, I met him on my way back home from the Dominican Republic. I was flying to a big test I had to do for university. And I met him at the uh, JFK airport in New York. And uh, I, I met him at the lounge. I was a frequent flyer. He's a frequent flyer. So, and I was sitting there. And I'm the, I was this typical surfer. I had flip-flops on, totally tanned, long, long hair, just came from a competition. And he was in business, his business suit, and so on. And normally, all the other passengers, they didn't dare to speak to me because they were, I mean, I was, I, I was sat in a first-class lounge. Yeah. And I looked like the last little hippie, right? <laughs> but so nobody dared to talk to me because everybody was a bit embarrassed. So he came over and he said, well, you look like you had a good holiday. And, uh, well, I was a bit snappy back. And I said, oh, yeah, I sure do. I'm on holiday all the time, actually, because that's what I do. And then he said, oh, I'm on holiday too all the time. So I said, oh, that's interesting. I never had that answer back. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah it was very interesting. He gave me his uh, email address. I gave him my website. Back then, it was uh, all based on kite surfing and on sports. And uh, we connected. And it was really weird because he back then was age 50, yeah, 55. Mm. And I mean, I was 22. And so we connected afterwards and I wrote to him and he we connected on Skype and he wrote to me, hey, if you have any questions, let me know. I would be really happy to help you out. And I thought, wow, this is really awkward. You know, like I was 22, he was 55. So I was like, you know, you hear these weird stories of, of meeting these strangers on the internet or something. And it was this time, right, when all this was starting. So I was really a bit cautious. And then I was studying uh, at, the, um, at the library and then he sent me a question and he said, hey, Julian, I know you're really busy, but may I know what your goals are for the next five years? And I said, I, I just sat there and I'm like, what weirdo sends me a question to ask me what I was going to do in the next five years? Especially because I'd never thought about that question. To be honest, all I was always caring about is how could I pay for my next flight or how would my next exam be? Mm. Never really about a question like that. And then I didn't reply at first. And then he said, he sent me a question mark. And then I said, well, actually, I really don't know. And he said, well, do you never think about what you want to do? And I didn't. I never thought about it. And then he said, you know what, Julian, I'll send you a list of five questions. If you answer those to me, I'll pay for your next ticket and you, you don't have to fly in economy class. I'll pay for you to fly in business class. And that was, I mean, that was such a weird offer, such a weird conversation because I always felt like, okay, if he gives me something, he definitely is going to want something back, you know? And at first I was a bit hesitant to, to do something. Then I said, what is there to lose for me? You know, I can always just cut off the communication. Of so he, he sent me those five questions and it was the most difficult questions of my life. It was really like, I can't 100% remember what these questions were, but it was like, so what are your goals for the next five years? Uh, what is it that you really want to achieve in your life? Uh, what are you going to do after you finish uh, your studies? It was really these questions where I think a 22-year-old has never thought about. Mm. Mm. Deep, deep stuff. And uh, I'm sure, I'm sure quite a defining moment in your journey. Um, so what, what changed as a result of answering those questions? And did you, did you take the flight? I mean, so I sent him the questions back five minutes later. I received an upgrade from the airline that I was upgraded. 
And uh, yeah, it was, man, it was my first business class flight of my life. And uh, it was the strangest thing um, knowing that, okay, what just happened, right? Well, <laughs> yeah. it was really weird. And then there was another really weird time that was, he has this huge mansion in the south of France, right in Nice, right? And so he invited me to his, his mansion in Nice, right? So he paid for everything. And I was like, what? You know what? I have a really bad feeling about this. This is going to get really, really awkward. I mean, I was... <laughs> right i had met this guy once and oh that's gonna get that i was just really worried right i had told everyone that i was gonna be there i'm gonna talk to them every evening in case i don't reply anymore call the police it was really weird right yes yeah so i go there uh one thing i totally hadn't expected his wife was there i mean he has a wife right um and that i mean that time there it really changed a lot in me because i realized that he was he had been super successful. He had had an exit in his company for over uh, a triple digit million company that he built up in Switzerland. It's a company on the stock exchange even. And uh, what he does for the past, for the 10 years before and now still the last 10 years, he has been helping people. Some were totally underprivileged. Some people were people from my, at my stage. I was not underprivileged. I had a normal average life. But he saw potential in certain people all over the place, in Indonesia and in Mauritius, in me, and, and so on. And he really f invested time and energy into those people to make the most out of these people. And he planted some seeds there that I didn't understand back then. And I was really frustrated because he always, he challenged me whether it was the right way for me to become a medical doctor. He challenged me about a lot of beliefs, a very, very limiting beliefs that I had. I had very limited be lim limiting beliefs when it came to money. I had very limiting beliefs to uh, how to deal with people, how to how to accept uh, people that that were against what I was going to do. Um, I had very limiting beliefs. And he planted the seeds back then and we stayed in touch over and over again. We Skyped regularly. I I ran across some some of my ideas. Um, he bounced them back at me in a very constructive way. I mean, he's one of the few people who who I I mean who doesn't have to get in, be impressed. He is the person that if I call him, he's gonna tell me straight into my face what I need to hear. Yeah. And which is, which is total coincidence. We had a, a Skype call today for about around two hours where I ran across a lot of my business ideas that I have at the moment. And uh, I mean, it, it's just unbelievable how, how great a, uh, a good mentor is. I mean, and without him, I'm sure I would never ever be where I am today. That's amazing, that's amazing. So it was such a defining moment, but talk to me about some, what's, what's been, what have been some of the biggest challenges that you faced on your journey, specifically since leaving your medical career behind and developing your own business, what have been some of the kind of hurdles you've had to overcome on the way? For me, uh, for me, the hardest hurdle or the biggest hurdle, and it's such a weird thing because I know I shouldn't do that, but you know, it's like, I mean, rationale has nothing to do with how your emotions play sometimes. For me, it's so hard if I don't get approval from certain people and many times these are people that are absolutely not important to me. But for some reason, it's this weird thing that when someone sends me a negative message or when someone posts something negative, that even though I know it shouldn't and I managed to learn how to, uh, how to not get a setback from this, but having, I don't want to say haters, but having people who don't agree with what you do or tell you that you're on the wrong path, it, it really costs me a lot of energy still today. And mm. it upsets me. The, the worst thing is, right? It upsets me myself to know 
that it shouldn't do that. And that was one of the big things that I talked to him today about that I just don't understand why that is, right? And and I think that's one of my biggest hurdles. I had one of my biggest hurdles was when I was in network marketing. Um, that was in year two, and I had this really, it was my first six-figure uh, six year income, and I was on my way to my seven-figure income, and I was, I bought this really, really nice uh, Audi A7 in Germany, like sports version, was a 100,000 euro car, um, and I mean, I was just really, really proud, you know, I was, it was something that I could have never dreamed of owning, and I mean, come on, I was 25-year-old, what do you yeah. expect, right? Uh, I was making big checks, I was making really good money, and I mean, what happened afterwards, it was the biggest hate storm that I could have possibly, I mean, I couldn't have, and today I look back and I'm like, oh, come on, that was a choke, you know, like, why do you even bother? But it really threw me out of my way, and and it took me quite some time to recover, to really go back to full speed. Mm. Mm, that's interesting. I mean, it's such an interesting concept when it comes to the concept of haters. I mean, again, it's a common thread on, on this podcast. Every every entrepreneur I speak to, no matter where they've come from, they've all faced this this same challenge of having other people's opinions inflicted upon them. And it's, it's something we all have to deal with. And uh, I, I guess what it leans to is some of, the, some of the things we've talked about with other guests is around environment and peer group. And I know before we started this conversation, that was something that we, we, we agreed that we'd speak about so maybe that's a good opportunity for us to, to enter into that now because I guess there's always someone in your peer group who's thoroughly on board and, and is is in your corner they're your cheerleader effectively but there's always going to be someone who disagrees or disapproves of what you're doing and I, I think sometimes the ones that disapprove or the ones that are potentially haters inverted commas are the ones who just they see things in you that they see in themselves, but for whatever reason, they're not doing the things that could get them the same results. So for example, when people saw that car, they probably they were probably actually very envious that you had that vehicle and that's something they'd be very proud of owning themselves, but they just haven't taken the steps and for whatever reason, they're being held back from, from creating that themselves and it's their own insecurities that they then reflect upon you. So what, what have you done in terms of your career path around surrounding yourself with the kinds of people that can support you in terms of your goals? Man, I couldn't agree more. I, I really, this is, it speaks from, from the deepest bottom of my heart. Um, I mean, I'd always been very, very careful with who I surrounded myself. Um, that was one thing I learned from Paul was to really be careful who is around me. Um, one of my, it was not so much that I got worried about my peer group around me that I got influenced by them. The problem was I didn't. It was really from strangers that I didn't know who started commenting and who started blogging or whatever. And that really got me out of my my path. What I just learned is that I just have to, I mean, it really, like what I was really strong in because I learned that from Paul was to not watch the news, to not listen to the radio. Uh, don't, don't surround yourself with negative things. And suddenly there was this new tool called social media and I just got caught in its web. I got caught in reading the comments, reading the comments under the YouTube videos, reading the comments under the blogs, uh, following their, their input and so on. And, and that was a new challenge because I feel nobody prepared me, hadn't prepared me for that. Paul didn't tell me about it because back then it was not an issue. But now suddenly this was there and I was right in between. Mm, yes, I can relate to that. Anything in life, um, like whether it's an iPhone, I absolutely love the iPhone. Um, you know, you go on Amazon, you'll see thousands of five-star reviews, but there's always someone who puts in a one-star review. The most exclusive mm. hotel in the world will have tons of five-star reviews, but there's always a one-star review. And I just think 
I think it's just this, I use the same philosophy in my mind now. It's just that mm. actually, if I'm polarizing opinion, then I've I've got a strong opinion because if I don't have a strong viewpoint, and everyone agrees with that strong viewpoint, then it's not strong enough because it's like marmite. I don't know if you have marmite or ever come across marmite. It's uh, it's a bit like Vegemite, the spread. In the UK, people either love it or they hate it. The people who love it are raving fan customers of that product. The people who hate it, absolutely hate it. So I think when it comes to things like negative comments, I now relish them because it means that I'm starting to make, I'm starting to polarize opinion, which suggests to me that I'm actually now creating a stronger voice. And I see that as a positive. You're always going to get people who say ridiculously, mind-numbingly dull things about you. And it's just like, well... That's your own. I just think that's their own uh, their own crowd that's just coming through yeah, in their comments. Really, no, that's really good. Yeah, that's really uh, good. Cool. So after that period of time, then when you'd found that financial freedom for your network marketing business, you took some time off. Where where did you go next? What was the kind of next steps for you? Yeah, sure. I that was um, on the one thing. It was a really strange time because on the one hand, I had really achieved my goal, and I'd always learned from from Paul setting goals is so important. That's what he all started with at twenty two. And one of my goals, and he had given me those five-year timeframes, was to become what he called financially free. I learned from him what this concept meant. And so for me, my goal was, okay, I want to be within those five years. I want to be financially free. And so I was, on the one hand, really proud. And for the first time in my life, I had called myself truly successful because to me, in his definitions, success was when you achieve your goals that are quite ambitious goals. And I had achieved that. But on the other hand, suddenly... I had no more goal in life. So it was on the one hand, I considered myself successful. On the other hand, I considered myself like, wow, lost. And it was during those six months of traveling, of, of really kind of stepping back a bit, of uh, there were times when I didn't reply to emails. It was, it was just very different that I, st- I started to be a total different Julian. I started to be a person who was not looking into business at all anymore. I was really, for the first time in my life, looking to build true relationships, true uh, built networks, and, and for the first time to look and, and really try to, to find people that were long-lasting relationships. And when I was in network marketing, and that's one thing I would do different, would I ever do network marketing again? I would really look into building more friends and relationships rather than business partners. That would be one thing that I would change. But so during that time, I really had that. And uh, one thing I really saw was how people I don't want to say they looked up to me, but they saw that I had achieved something in a very short time coming out of no special um, no special background. Nothing about me was so special that you would say, okay, ah, that was so obvious that, that Julian made it. Oh, of course. No, there was nothing about that. It was, I was this really ordinary person. And I realized, holy crap, you know what? This is duplicatable. This is copyable. If you have the right blueprint you could actually follow in my footsteps. You could do the same thing. You, you don't have to use network marketing at all. You can use your own tools, but it all starts with, and I always, I, I always tell people the same thing. You can make a million dollars within a week, but the mindset it, that it takes to make that million dollars, that might take a lifetime. That might take five years. For me, it took roughly five years. And that is the key. But once you have this right mindset, the million dollar income is inevitable. And so I back then started this project. Back then I didn't know that this was gonna end in my new business. I just thought, okay, this would be a nice project. Uh, it would be nice to help people. It would really be a pleasure to, to pass on what Paul had given to me. And 
that was that project called 25 Stories that I started back then. And the idea about it was uh, telling people stories with lessons attached to it, because I always believe people don't listen or people don't learn when you tell people the, the cold hard facts. You have to tell enticing, exciting, fun, surprising, or, or, or sad stories, and then attach the lessons to it. And that was the project that I started back then. And so that's what I'm 100% uh, committed and focused on doing today. Um, it, back then, it was still in English. I transitioned more into the German market. And the reason for that is very simple, just because um, that was where most of my network was. This is where I grew up. This is where I had my 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 key group. And one of the reasons was also Paul, who, who constantly asked me about my target group. Who's your target audience? Who's your target audience? And I always said, yeah, yeah, my target audience, everyone is my target audience. Because before, I mean, in network marketing, you know, you always learn, never exclude anyone. Anyone could be open to it, right? Three and suddenly goal. now, uh, yeah, now, exactly. And now I suddenly had a product that had something that I wanted to pass on to people. And so I had to narrow down my audience. And it got narrowed down from, uh, at first, anyone between 60 to close to death all the way down to the main age group of 24 to 30. Uh, there's a second age group now popping up that is, that is strangely around the age of 45. Um, and then it even, I, we narrowed it down to exclude at the moment most other languages rather than German for that core. We still, I still do most of the things in English just because I, I do have a lot of followers and a lot of people in English still, of course, but my key focus target group are any German speaker at the moment. Mm. But I guess the principles within the book itself are universal principles. And I'd be really curious to learn about some of the the critical kind of success mindsets that you've developed in your across your own journey that have really been essential in, in creating the results that you've created. Could you talk a little bit about some of the most important success principles that you've developed over over your career? Definitely. I would love to. I uh Again, all these these success principles, I put them into stories. And uh, the reason why I did was because if you are, and that the title of the book is 25 stories I would tell my younger self. And the reason I titled it that way was because I believe everyone would have stories they would tell their younger self. They would, might they might have lessons and tips, but the younger self, especially if that is a quite ambitious younger self, wouldn't listen, right, Dan? I think your younger self wouldn't listen either. If you go to him and say, hey, Dan, young Dan, listen, you have to do things different. The young Dan would say, nah, I know better than you. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah, so that's why I, I titled it 25 Stories. And one of the stories that, in my opinion, is a really crucial story was a very early story that happened in my life. It was actually still with my mom, it, I, with my mom and in school, it was about how to grow a tree. And that's how that uh, story is also titled. It was the lesson about that when you grow a tree, I don't know if, Dan, have you ever grown a tree? I haven't personally, no. To grow a tree, and I mean, I'm really talking about out of a seedling, it's an extremely frustrating task because you grow that seedling and you really have to take care of it and you see nothing for extremely a long time. And if you are a five-year-old like I was back then or a seven-year-old, it is like even three months, it is just an excruciating long time. But it taught me that all the great things in life, and that story is connected to another story called the ice cream story, where it's about that you have to work first and then you get a treat afterwards, not you get the treat first and you do the work afterwards. No, no, you work first, you get the treat afterwards. The tree story is really about that if you get small, if you want small rewards in life, you can expect the reward to come quite fast. But if you want the true large rewards in life, 
you have to be prepared that your reward is going to come quite some time later compared to when you do the actual work. And that tree story is, a, is the story for anyone who's looking into doing anything that they expect extraordinary rewards. If you expect the rewards that you get from your regular corporate job, it works like this. You work 28 days or 30 days. Well, guess what? On the fifth of the next month, this is when your paycheck comes. So it comes quite quick. But as soon as you want your larger income, look at and anyone you look at, you look at a professional athlete, many times people say, wow, but look, I know this soccer star and he makes 22 million US dollars or euros a year. Yeah, right. But this is now. You don't see the long, long, long work he put in from the age probably of four all the way to where he is now. And now he's reaping the rewards. The problem is people don't survive the time when they have to grow the tree. They want the tree to already be there. Mm. And that is one of the key principles that I see today, especially with social media, with this instant gratification. You wake up in the morning, the first thing you do is you look on your phone. Why do you do this? You do this because it gives you satisfaction. It comes from medical, it comes from medicine. It's hormone triggered. It's these, these hormones that, that give you satisfaction that someone thinking of you because you see a red little dot on your phone on an app. It is pure satisfaction. It's an addiction to this instant gratification. And it's so difficult today. I don't know if you know the marshmallow experiment. Have you ever heard of that in no. the US? No, no, no. It's a fantastic, and please put it in the show notes below because it's such an, a fantastic video to see. Very simple uh, setup. It's done, uh, it, it's called the marshmallow experiment. You go on YouTube, you find it. It's a fantastic video. They take little kids, age five years, put them into a room and say, okay, here's a marshmallow. They put that marshmallow in front of them and I'm going to go out of the room. I'm going to come back. It's just going to take a couple of minutes. I'm not going to tell you how long. But if that marshmallow is still on the table when I'm back, you're going to get a, a second marshmallow. If it's not on the table, well, guess what? You ate your marshmallow. And so it's just fantastic to see these kids with the marshmallow in front of them. Some kids are really, really uh, creative. One goes and like puts like his finger into the marshmallow and starts digging out the marshmallow inside just to <laughs> leave the outer marshmallow on the table. And I mean, it's just hilarious how that because you see how the kid's suffering to not eat that marshmallow. Well, that's not... The extraordinary part, the extraordinary part is that this study follows those kids all the way 30 years down the line. And the very interesting part is that the kids who manage to not eat the marshmallow become statistically more successful than those kids who eat the marshmallow wow. because they learn to delay gratification at a very early age. And this is what this world is all about. And so this is was one of the key things. And this is still today. One of the key things that I teach in our mastermind groups, in my product, in any training and coaching that I do is uh, it starts with, and that's the smallest thing, stop asking or stop looking at your income on a monthly basis. Look at your income on an annual basis. I mean, the larger corporations get immediately they look at, okay, so our annual revenue, our annual revenue. Well, what do the small thinkers always think about? Well, I make around 1500 US a month. Who cares? It's about how much you make in a year. This is how you should start. And this is, again, this delayed gratification. This is where your mindset is all about. Uh, that's, that was one of the, that's one of the core stories, uh, actually one of the, the core lessons and stories out of the book. That's a really important lesson. I, I remember back in my corporate career, I was reading a lot of Brian Tracy, um, very impactful, profound uh, lessons I learned from him on productivity and mindset. And the, I always remember him talking about delayed gratification. And interestingly enough, it was something I never really truly understood until I left the employee mindset behind and became an entrepreneur. And that, and then it became, it was like an, an aha moment that I realized 
the power of it and the and it links very closely to what you spoke about in terms of the tree because if you look at the biggest tallest strongest trees that have lasted the test of a lifetime they all had to go through that same growth period but they also have the strongest foundations and i think when you look at the instant gratification mindset people are trying to skip the foundations and it's 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 the most successful people focus on the long game even though you know you might have short-term objectives you've still got an end in mind in terms of the long game where you're going to go i think those people are the most successful those people are the most sustainable i was listening to gary vaynerchuk the other day and he talks someone was asking him about his book and you know the success of the book and he said look i don't i'm not thinking about the success of the book i'm thinking about the legacy that this is going to be part of in terms of the long game i'm focused on the long game and it was a it was a really insightful um, conversation to listen to because there's so many entrepreneurs out there who are, are, are focused on the short-term game, and I think that's a, that's a really important point that you've raised. Man, he—I mean, he is such a great example because I was at one of his keynotes and I was really fortunate enough to have a couple of minutes just to talk to him afterwards. And I mean, it was just such a great way of seeing how he really is in for the long game. He is so focused on that, and I think he is. He, I mean, if there's one person to follow and, and really learn from some of his core values, I think he's one of the key people out there. And I think he's doing the world such a favor for, yeah, for really investing so much time into it. Because, I mean, I think he says it often enough, but I truly believe that him actually instructing the people, that's a waste of his time, to be honest. It's just, it gives him pleasure, but mm. it doesn't give him money. He, he would be better off, and he admits that, I think investing this time into his core business. He just does it because he really wants to to leave a legacy. He wants to help people. And I, I, I mean, I think we're all really fortunate that he does. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. It's, uh, he lives in a very fortunate time where he has this ability. You know, he's disrupted a marketplace within a disrupted marketplace. It's really quite fantastic to watch. Yeah. Um, so talk to me about some of your habits and rituals that you live by that support your business now and support your success. It's it's really funny that you mentioned that. That was one. I even had a, a blog post titled. Um, I think I wrote it at the beginning of this year, and it had one of the most reads of all of my blog posts. And it was titled "The Hardest Part from Moving from Being an Employee to Being an Entrepreneur." What was the hardest part? And the reason I have this title was because I have so many people that I work with who are either on the verge of being an entrepreneur, or who are an entrepreneur, or who want to become an entrepreneur, and they really struggle. And I, I ask myself, so what is it that makes it so hard? And it is, like you say right now, it is your daily routine, it's your morning routine, it's how you schedule your time. It's at the end of the day, it's how you master your time. And I, I've gladly, I had this, I, don't, I cannot tell you why, I think maybe this was a little bit of a talent, even though I think talent is totally overrated, but for some reason, maybe it comes from something that I can't dig up right now. Um, but my time management skills had always been, I, I don't want to say a 10 out of a 10, but let's say a nine out of 10. I'm pretty good with my time. And, and, and here I'm really talking about distinguishing between important versus urgent about being productive versus just doing things that seem productive, but are actually time wasters. Uh, this is one of the things that I'm really strong in that in German, for example, this is one of the products and it's not an expensive product. We sell it for 29 euros. It's one of, uh, it's, it's, it's just a layout of my morning routine. I do a, a real video on my morning routine. It's a step-by-step guidance, a bit of a workbook on, on how people can adjust their morning routine and how to, to write down their time that they spend on certain things. Uh, it, it's one of the products that sells the best. 
And I think the reason is because it, once people understand that this is the the root of all co- uh, root of all problems they have in their life, they really start focusing on getting their time their time management right. Uh, that's one of my core things, and and in the book I talk about that quite extensively. That's that's interesting. So what what would your number one tip be for someone who struggles potentially with their time management? What's what's the first thing someone could do to improve their productivity? <laughs> that's the question. Believe it or not, that I get the most when it comes to that. Um, the answer to that, in my opinion, is a very simple one. It's try to get up. 30 minutes earlier every day until you get up at a time that you feel really uncomfortable. And the reason I don't fix the time is because I tr- I do believe that there are people who are not good at getting up at 5 a.m. And I do believe that there are people who should get up at 11 a.m. just because it really depends on so some people for them. It's really good to get it up at 5 a.m. But some people, they are these late evening people. They work until three or four. And for them, it's great if they get up at 11 a.m. But so the reason I say get up earlier, it causes you to, to having to solve a lot of the problems. Let's say your normal time that you get up is 7 a.m., which is a pretty average time for most people. So now let's say you work it down to 6.30 or even 6, 5.35. So step by step. Well, let's say at some point you end up at 5 a.m. Now you have suddenly have two hours extra. Well, you're going to have to answer some questions for yourself. The first question is, what are you going to do during those two hours? Because if you don't have an answer to that, guess what? You're just going to lie in bed because you're going to stay there because you don't have to get up. Well, I don't have to get I don't have to get up until 7 a.m. So if you force yourself to get up at 5 a.m., well, then you have to do something during those two hours and you have to be productive during those two hours. Now, also, since most of your peer group is not up at that time yet, just because normally you get up when your peers get up, this is just an average habit. Suddenly you have those two hours where you really have to be productive because you cannot cannot get distracted by someone else at the moment. It also solves a few other things. First of all, you realize that you have to go to bed earlier. Otherwise, you're going to be super tired. So if you get up at 5 a.m., it's going to be very unlikely that you're going to stay up until 12 p.m. in the 12 midnight partying or drinking. No, because you're going to be dead tired. And if you're really focused on actually executing on your plans, so you're not just saying you want to get up at 5 a.m. and then not doing it, but you're really doing it, you're going to go to bed probably latest, 10 p.m. So you get your seven hours or eight hours or whatever you need of sleep in. And now suddenly your entire day starts to structure because now it hits 7 a.m. You have already been up for two hours and you've done two hours of work that just a couple of, uh, just a week before you didn't really do. Suddenly you're so much more productive. And so my key tip for anyone struggling with the time management is get up 30 minutes earlier. And if you normally get up at 5 a.m. already, get up at 4.30, get up at 4. I mean, I know people who get up at 3 a.m. Mm. Uh, that's my, my key tip for proper time management because everything else gets really complex. Another thing I would do is I use, I personally use the Pomodoro technique. I don't know, Dan, if you know that. The I do, Pomodoro yeah. Technique. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's my personal preference, but I mean, anyone, you could use a Google stopwatch. It doesn't matter. But in my opinion, one thing, it's like in a gym. You go to the gym and you just work it really hard. What's going to happen is you're going to burn out during your later exercises. So, but if you time it and you do you do your exercises properly, in this case, you say, okay, you know what? I'm going to work super hard now for 50 minutes and then I'm going to take a 10-minute break. That is one of the tips that I use during the day that especially for entrepreneurs, in my opinion, makes a lot of sense. Awesome. Great advice. And uh, I've got a question now in terms of, you know, we opened up talking about your, your mastermind where you work in lots of different types of entrepreneurs. What in your experience of working with you know countless entrepreneurs, what would you say the top three things uh, entrepreneurs need to focus upon to create a successful business? 
Um, the top three things would be first is definitely time management. I think that is one of the key things that they need to, to master. It's really time management. The second thing, and especially in today's society, you have to learn how to market your product. You have to learn how to use online marketing. You have to learn the power of uh, your 1,000 true fans. I would be happy to talk about that if you want. Uh, um, that's really, really important, especially when it comes more to offline marketing. So you have to be super, super strong in uh, in in the marketing side, especially as an as a. I don't want to say if you are if you scale your business, then at some point you can outsource. But at the beginning, you have to get super strong in the uh, marketing side. And um, the third thing. I would still say it's uh, th not thinking too small. It's about, uh, most people think too small. They think about, okay, maybe I can hit 50,000 US dollars in revenue this year. Why 50? Why not go for half a million? Why not go for 5 million? It's this small thinking that I had until I met Paul and Paul suddenly added two zeros to everything I thought was possible. That's so those would be the three feet, the three keys that I would, I would look into. That's most really people that, it's like I said, it's easy to make a million dollars, but to have the mindset to make a million dollars. Holy crap, that's a different ballgame. Amazing. Well, there's a couple of things I'm going to come back to on that because uh, there's some really interesting points. The, the, the advice Paul gives, that's interesting because the majority of the clients I work with, my first piece of advice is we need to be, we need to be adding another zero, but he's taking it to another level. So I, I also need to be thinking bigger for my clients. Uh, let's double that up and make that two or three zeros. Um, in terms of that million dollar or million pounds or million euros, the, the seven-figure mindset, what, what, is, what, what would you say that is? Can you describe what you believe the seven-figure mindset is? Um, I think in order to really leverage on that and have and actually achieve that, it just comes down on. I, I think that okay, there's one thing that it comes down to. If I because I never got this question asked that way, what is the core thing? I think it comes down to being one million percent sure on what your true strength is. A million percent. So you know your strength and this is your strength. And then you learn to outsource everything else or as much as you can. And so that you can drive your thing that you are really good at and you cover your weaknesses by people who are really, really good in those things that you're not good at. I think that's the difference between, now that's the difference between a six figure and a seven figure earner. That's in really my strong opinion, a six figure earner loves to do it all and keeps it still all together and is a bit scared of letting go. He's really hardworking. Uh, the seven figure earner is knows what his core strength is and 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 just outsources everything else. I, I, that's if I would have to cut it down to one thing. Yeah. That's a very, I mean, that's a similar answer. I had uh, Vince Del Monte on the show recently who's a wildly successful online fitness entrepreneur. And he said he took his business to seven figures. And it was at that point he had to really establish what his superpower is because he's a, he's a, he's, he's a real expert when it comes to fitness. But actually, people are starting to say you're, you're even more effective now as a marketer. Your, your marketing is, is, is better than your fitness uh, information. And he had to then make a decision about what actually what is going to be my true superpower that's going to get me to the next level. And I think the quicker that people can identify that superpower, the, the, the faster they can move. But the same thing, it's important not to – sometimes the only way to discover your superpowers is by taking a ridiculous amount of action and actually that it will reveal itself. As long as you know where you're going and you've got big goals, your superpower will reveal yourself. And for me personally, you know, I've always had lots of different things that I have an interest in and lots of different skill sets. But it, it took a massive amount of action to really become clear upon what my sole single superpower or my special source is, as I call it. 
So uh, you're, you're so right. I mean, I I've actually just been in Omaha listening to Warren Buffett, um, one of the super most successful investors in the world, and he stressed once again there that uh, because there there were a lot of questions in on which investments to take and so on, and he said, look, your biggest issues is not all the investments you do. It's the investments. Now, it's sorry, I misphrased it. He said, "Look, it's not about the investments we do that make us successful. It's all the investments we don't do." And this was such a powerful mindset because it comes down to the same thing that Steve Jobs said when he said, "Look, the power of what we do is all the things we don't do." Mm-hmm. And I think that is just the same thing that you just said. It's so, so powerful. Yeah, I think one of the other challenges we all face as entrepreneurs is that we're typically as an entrepreneur, you, you're, you're a visionary thinker, you're an ideas person, they're very common traits of entrepreneurs. So the, ch- the challenge with that point is then you have to find a way to discipline yourself to actually say, okay, here's some fantastic ideas that are coming up. I need to allocate some time to think about, is this right for my business right now? Is it aligned with what I'm doing? Is it going to be the next thing that's going to take my business to the next six, seven figures? Uh, and is it aligned with that superpower? It's, uh, that's, I think that's one of the, the contrasts that 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 situation offers is that we're big thinkers and that generates a lot of different ideas, but it doesn't necessarily fit with the model of your own superpower. And uh, you've got to have a process in place to identify is, is, is that right for your business right now, or is it something you need to think about at a future date? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one thing I always learned and, uh, and, and Paul told me all told me that over and over again was Julian, you can do everything you want, but not at the same time. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. So before we go into the final round, would you just mind elaborating on the uh, thousand true fans that you touched upon? Oh, sure. Uh, That's a concept that I uh, stumbled across because I did a lot of digging on when we really started that project of 25 stories. I really wanted to to understand, okay, so how can I have the most powerful product launch and how can I have the most powerful launch? Because I really did was for the first time had a launch of something. When I did my network marketing business, it was more of a, I, I kind of rolled into that, right? It was not like, okay, so in three months I'm launching. No, no. It was like, okay, I started and then and so it went. And so, but now I suddenly had a launch. And so I did a lot of research on how to launch properly. And, um, I total coincidence. I was here in Hong Kong and, uh, the guys from Airbnb were here and they were giving a talk and I organized myself really special passes so I could talk to them and, and really get some insight from them. And so I talked to Nate, one of the co-founders from them. And uh, so I asked him, I said, hey, dude, listen, how did you guys manage to do this of really getting Airbnb off the ground? And uh, I really wanted to understand. And I don't know, Dan, do you know the story how they got Airbnb off the ground? I actually don't know. No, my first experience with them was to just someone suggested to me that I should be using it to, to book my accommodation instead of getting in hotels going forward. And uh, that's, that's the first I heard of the company. So I, I, I don't actually know the story of their launch. Man, very, very, I mean, that, and that changed my book launch. That changed everything of my launch, everything. They said, and, and I mean, really, really successful. It was, um, just give you an idea, and you can read this up. I had over 5,000 books pre-sold, pre-sold. And I was not an, an author or nothing, right? I was nothing. I had pre-sold before we even had the book out. So the, the way you do it, and that was how they did that, was they looked at all the people that they had already. So they, and for them back then, there was a super small amount. They had like 20, 20 or 25 hosts. And all they tried to do, and because that's what you learn is, use scalable methods. So don't do methods that are not scalable because that's what you, what you, what you learn. It's like, okay, so use social media because you can scale it. Do the email because you can scale it. Uh, don't do things that are not scalable. And they said... If you start out 
you have to do all the things that are not scalable. What they did was, and this is just unthinkable, they went to those hosts, met them, invited them for a dinner, talked to them, really walked through what did these guys want. They looked at their problems, looked at what they had. And what their goal was, and that was, that was their own strategy, they wanted to have a thousand hosts that they knew in person, that they knew really well, that they had had, had dinner with, that they were what they called their 1,000 true fans. Because one of their uh, mentors, when they were still in their, uh, what is it called? They were in, still in San Francisco, uh, in their accelerator program. Yeah, sorry. When they were in their accelerator program, they had one of their mentors there who said, guys, you need a thousand true fans, then you're going to be a billion dollar company. And so wow. that's what changed everything for them. So it was not the scalable stuff that you get taught all the time when you read through how to launch a product and so on. It's this non-scalable stuff, especially when you're starting off that makes it so powerful. And that's what I did. So what I did, I really called people and said, hey, listen, I really, I, I mean, I'm launching this. You know, I want to get my book out. We're launching this platform. I'm, I'm selling these products. Come on, we've been, we've been friends for years. Would you buy a book? Would you buy two books? Would you buy five books? And that's what I did. And I mean, what's the funny thing, right? Gary Vaynerchuk, he didn't title it this way, but that's what he did as well. I mean, he has so much more reach. I don't know how many books he pre-sold before his launch. Um, but you know, most authors, first-time authors, they don't sell, I don't know, they don't sell 100 books over a year. We did 5K before our launch. And the, on the only reason, it's the only, only reason was because I listened to Nate at this talk of Airbnb, something totally unrelated, and I understood the full power of that because I had people who said, you know what, Julian, I'm actually not only going to buy one book. I'm going to buy 10 books because I know people who know that, and you were right. We were friends. You helped me out back then. So it was really about building this, this base of 1,000 true fans. I didn't have 1,000 true fans just because where should I have it from? I didn't have an audience, right? It was not, I had to start from scratch as well. But I think I got, I ended up with around 600 people who really wanted my, wanted to see me succeed. And at the end, that was my, my breakthrough. It's an amazing story. And, you know, I don't know if you've seen, seen uh, the, the stories around the Tesla Model 3 and the launch of that, but that's exactly the same process. You know, they took 325,000 reservations for Model 3 before the thing's even built. And, that implies that they've done over 10, you know, 10 to $15 billion of future sales based on the price point that they're, uh, that they're, they're marketing that car. At. And it's, you know, one of the most legendary launches of all time. Uh, and, and it's, it's I taken follow the- I mean, Elon is amazing. And I'm really, I'm a bit upset with my uncle because my uncle is a Tesla owner f- since day one and he would have had priority passes to go to the event and actually have backstage with Elon Musk. And I'm still upset with him that he said, <laughs> oh, you know what? It's such a far flight. I'm like, dude, I would have paid for business class tickets. Let's just go. And yeah, so that's that story. You'll, you'll be there for Model 4. Don't worry. <laughs> cool. So we're going we're gonna to jump into the final round now then. So I've got three questions for us, quick fire questions to, to finish up the session today. My first question for you is, if you had to start your business all over again, knowing absolutely everything that you know now from the ground up, what would be the first thing that you would do? Um, okay, I would have two answers. I would love to, on the one hand, if I know everything that I know now, I would do exactly what I did two years ago. Um, look at people, ask them what they, what they struggle with. Um, that's the key thing. Ask people what they struggle with. And ask people that are in similar shoes that you have been in or maybe even a different industry, but ask them what they struggle with and use your knowledge that you have acquired. And since I, you said I had all this knowledge, I just look into how I can 
pool that knowledge, make a product out of this, uh, or do some coaching to get some immediate income and then scale from there. My second answer, and that is taking away whatever I know, if I had to start all over again, I have to admit I would always go back into network marketing, even though it is an industry that many times has not a good reputation. I would tell anyone, look into that industry. Don't build in it. Look into it. You're going to be around really great people. You're going to many times have really great products around you. You're going to get a good mindset. In my opinion, it was the best foundation that I've received to be where I am today. I'm not, I'm not advising for anyone to, to, to build hardcore in it, but get the mindset to get started. So I would do the same thing if I would have to start over and had no knowledge. I would go back into network marketing, get the knowledge, get the mindset, and then scale from there. Awesome. Perfect. And in terms of the most game-changing piece of advice that you've ever received, what's been the most impactful single piece of advice that, that really changed your life? It is the concept of being the average of the five people around you. But at the same time, it's about the trick of that whole game. Because the more up you network, the more people are aware of this, whether they, they phrase it that way or whether they just know it. So the trick about it is if you want to network upwards, don't skip levels of society, if you want to call it, but really network up in small steps. So constantly don't go for the five-star performers. If you are a three-star, go for the three-and-a-half-star and network step-by-step. Step. Because if you're in sports, let's say basketball, no one wants to play with you. If you're the, the loser and there are four really great players, they want a fifth-grade player, so they're not going to accept you. But if you are a little bit worse than they are, they're going to just say, okay, okay, you can play this time, and then you can improve. So that is the really most important concept. Awesome. game-changing for me that's that's really powerful and, and uh i really like the way you've put that in terms of taking each step one at a time what about on the other side then what about the people that perhaps drain your energy how would you take steps to um uh deal with that situation well i can only quote one of my main idols tony robbins who says you know love your family but uh really choose your peers wisely and um i i would i you just have to, it depends what you want if you really want to have success then choose your peers really wisely, love your family, and say, and, and and you don't have to kick people away from you, but you have to be aware of what they're doing to your success. And so just cut your time short with them, look for positive, great, motivating people, and stay close to them. Awesome. And then the final question is, what does it mean to be unstoppable to you? To me, it comes down because I know that for myself, the only thing that has ever stopped me in my life is when my emotions took over. So to be unstoppable means to be in control of your emotions, to, it's okay sometimes to cry, it's okay to sometimes uh, be down, but it's about recovering and getting in control of your emotions. Excellent. And uh, you know, one of, the, one of the core themes that comes up all the time is having that deep self-belief, and um, that's not something we've had the opportunity to touch upon. I mean, that to me falls exactly under those emotions. It's about knowing that you can do this, knowing, be confident in yourself. Um, but to me, that's really part of the emotional sector of not starting to doubt yourself, but being confident in where you're going. And even if you have people who throw stones in your way, that you use them actually to, to build something rather than to let them throw, get thrown off the path. And uh, I think the more you learn how to uh, to to work with with this and and recovering, I mean, it's it's really about in Rocky. There's this really famous quote, right? Uh, it's not about how hard you hit; it's really about how hard you can get hit and still keep going. And this is such an important part there. And it's it comes down to 
comes down to your your belief in yourself, your self-confidence. And the final thing is, uh, how, how would you like people to contact you? If, where would be the best place for someone to start to find out more about your work? Uh, by far, best way would be Facebook. You go to facebook.com slash 25 stories. So that's 25 stories. Uh, also on my website, 25stories.org. That's uh, our project. Um, that would be the best part. I would be really happy to connect, get some input, get some feedback. Uh, even if it's negative today, I am. I can handle it. I'm going to be upset if you drop me a negative <laughs> comment. D don't worry, I will. But I have learned how to get over that and, and actually use it as energy uh, to achieve even more. Excellent. And in terms of the, in terms of the book itself, where where be the best place for people to pick up that book? Definitely Amazon. You either type in my name, Julian Hosp. You're going to find a kite surf book. If you're a kite surfer, I, I wrote one of the kite surf Bibles out there. Uh, or you will find 25 stories I would tell my younger self. You can both things you can buy on Amazon. Um, yeah, I would be happy if you buy that. Leave me a review would be really great. And let me know what you think. Amazing. Uh, I'll, make, I'll make sure the things are in the show notes for the uh, for the listeners. And I, I really appreciate your time today. And uh, thank you, you know, for, for everyone who's listened from start to finish. We, we know that uh, I had some challenges and uh, Julian kindly stepped in and saved the day. And uh, we've had a great episode and there's been so many nuggets of wisdom and insight. Uh, and I really look forward to recapping the, the, the show and um, and sharing this with with the listeners. So thank you. Thank you, Julian, for for an amazing session. Dan, thank you. You're such a rock star. It was such a pleasure to be on. And uh, yeah, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And I'm really happy I got to spend time with you. Thanks so much. What an epic episode. I just want to extend a huge, huge thank you to Julian for stepping in and making this show happen. I'm absolutely delighted I was able to bring you a top class guest who shared real incredible value for you guys, the Unstoppable Tribe. At the last minute, we made it happen. That's the Unstoppable Way. So thanks once again, Julian. I really look forward to connecting again in the near future. I hope you've enjoyed that episode. Please do come over to the, the show notes, check out the resources, check out Julian's book. I'm excited to get it myself and come and share what you learned from the episode. If you're enjoying the Unstoppable podcast, I'd be really, really honored if you would subscribe to the show and come over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. I recently opened up the Unstoppable Mastermind, a private Facebook group for the Unstoppable Tribe to connect, share ideas, and hold each other accountable to the highest standard possible in business and life. It's designed to help you reach the next level of your business and share ideas and connect with like-minded people who can help you on the way. So come along, join in the group, check it out on Facebook, Unstoppable Mastermind, or go to unstoppablepodcast.com forward slash tribe and you'll find instructions to join. Coming up next week on Monday, I've got a show where I'll give you a debrief based upon today's episode where I'll share the top three things that I'll be taking away from the session and how I'll personally implement those into my business and my life. And I'll also share my unstoppable insights, which is based upon what I'm focused on right now when it comes to studying the art of greatness and building an empire. So that is it for today. Until next time, go out there, unleash your greatness, build your empire, and live your ultimate life. I can't wait to the next episode. Thanks for listening. Speak to you soon.